Hello and welcome to our Maritime Impact podcast series. I'm your host, Eric Nyhus, Director Environment for Maritime at DNV. Throughout this series, we've been discussing how maritime greenhouse gas regulations are evolving, in particular what the EU and the IMO are doing. And as a number of the things we've been talking about during our recent series are starting to come to fruition, we thought it was time to give you all an update. So in this episode, we'll be focusing on two key issues what happened at MEPC 79 and what it means for greenhouse gas policy decisions to be made at MEPC 80 and also for possible future regulations. We'll also be looking at the EU, where there has now been a political agreement on the emissions trading system with it becoming effective for ships in 2024. So we hope you enjoy the episode and now on to the show. MEPC 79 is now well and truly behind us. It closed on December 16 last year, and it's time to decode what happened. First and foremost, I want to emphasize that one of the really great things is that we're now back to physical meetings. That means the negotiators have a much better setting, as well as more face time, for working on the compromises that are necessary to reach consensus. And as a reminder, the IMO does not really work by majority voting, it works by consensus. While MEPC 79 was able to address more than just greenhouse gases, or GHGs, this is where I'll focus today. We currently have a newsletter out, as well as a webinar recording that can both be downloaded if you wish to delve into the non-GHG matters. The background to MEPC 79 is that this should be seen as a working meeting, making progress towards a decision point at MEPC 80 in July this year. To recap... This is where the IMO greenhouse gas strategy and its reduction targets are to be revised, along with the decisions being made on what kind of next-generation greenhouse gas regulations the IMO should develop. In practical terms, this meant that no major decisions or announcements were to be expected this time around at MEPC 79, but this is not to downplay the importance of the meeting. The greenhouse gas negotiations are politically pretty complex, and there's always a possibility that they could go off the rails. So to the highlights. The centerpiece of the week, as well as the preceding working group discussions, was a revision of the strategy itself. Roughly two-thirds of those who spoke called for full decarbonization of shipping by 2050, but in contrast, roughly 20% were of the view that no further tightening of the 2050 targets could be supported. Various reasons for opposing higher ambitions were expressed, ranging from uncertainty regarding the feasibility of full decarbonization to the need for much more robust commitments to handling the impact on states. Without diving into the pros and cons of the various arguments, an observation from my side would be that there really has been limited, if any, convergence between the two camps, and that getting a breakthrough in negotiations is unlikely to happen before we get to MEPC 80. The hope is that the work that will be put into the two working group meetings to be held before then, along with the backstage negotiations, will pave the way to consensus. Now, I think it's going to be a pretty bumpy ride to reach an agreement, but I do remain convinced that we'll get one at MBC 80 and that it will represent a significant strengthening of the strategy. But will we get all the way to agreeing on full decarbonization by 2050? I really don't know but I firmly believe we'll end up with this more ambitious target and that the new target will have direct consequences for both existing and new regulations. Which brings us to the second highlight of MPC 79, the ongoing work on hammering out what the next set of regulations will look like. 
As with the GH3 strategy, a decision is also scheduled for MEPC 80. But just to be clear, this decision will be on a broad agreement on the kinds of new regulations that should be developed, rather than the formal approval of regulatory text. This means that some of the proposals that are on the table will be taken forward and developed further into actual regulations over the following MEPC meetings. So what's on the table? Coming into 79, and despite some dissenting voices, there was a broad agreement that a so-called basket of measures would be needed. This would indicatively consist of an economic measure, in the form of some kind of carbon price mechanism, and a technical measure, setting requirements to the greenhouse gas footprint of a fuel, a so-called GHG fuel standard, or GFS. Coming out of MPC 79, this agreement was strengthened and made more precise. Crucially, with respect to a carbon price, it became very clear that the option receiving support was some form of bunker levy. A proposal for a cap-and-trade system did not get traction, as in impractical terms now parked. There is still opposition from some to any kind of carbon pricing, but it seems very likely that the levy will be agreed at 80. That being said, agreeing on all the design details, not least the ones pertaining to handling of massive amounts of money, will be quite tricky and require several meetings. In my best judgment, we may actually be looking at 2027 as the earliest possible implementation year, with 2028 or even later being more realistic. A GHG fuel standard is in many ways more within the IMO's traditional remit, in that it is a technical standard and does not involve money. Conceptually, it would work by setting a requirement to the greenhouse gas footprint of fuels, almost certainly on a well-to-wake basis, and then gradually tightening that requirement over time. If it got tightened all the way to zero, it would effectively decarbonize shipping all on its own. It's important to recognize that it would regulate not how much you burn, but what you burn. Implicitly, this means that traditional energy efficiency measures would not really help in reaching compliance. Instead, it would drive the change towards greener fuels. At MEPC 79, it was clear that this mechanism, again despite some dissenting voices, has extensive support and we consider it very likely that it will also be taken forward once we get to MEPC 80. So what kind of timeline are we looking at for a GFS? While complex in many ways and with a lot of work still to be done, this is a mechanism that in principle could be rolled out before a carbon pricing mechanism. Theoretically, sometime in 2026 is possible, but we need to keep in mind that a number of countries see linkages between a levy and the GFS and want them both to become effective at the same time. If that comes to pass, it'll be the levy mechanism that will set the pace of rollout. I've spent a lot of time on a strategy and the next-gen regulations, but there were other GHG-related matters that were also on the agenda at MEPC 79. As you can imagine, time constraints kicked in with so much time being spent on the issues already discussed, but I want to mention where we stand on a few other issues as well. MEPC 79 was presented with the progress of the ongoing work on the life cycle greenhouse gas guideline for fuels. A very brief discussion was held, and the work is still going to conclude with the first version up for approval at MEPC 80. From this point, the more political discussion kicks off on which regulations the guidelines should be applied to. We also had proposals at hand pertaining to how to handle biofuels, potential new correction factors for the CII, and the possible inclusion of onboard carbon capture and storage into existing and future regulations. It was recognized that these are all important topics, 
but MAPC 79 simply did not have time to deal with them. So the can was kicked down the road, and these will be picked up again at MAPC 80 this summer, time permitting. As you can understand, MPC 80 is going to be an extremely busy meeting, preceded by a busy spring getting all the necessary prep work done. So let's move on to what's been going on in the EU lately, and more specifically, the agreement that has been reached on rolling shipping into the EU emissions trading system. In previous episodes, I have explained what the ETS is and how it is intended to work, so if the following sounds a bit Greek, I would recommend that you go back and re-familiarize yourself with the details. The ETS process has been quite a tale, but early on 18 December, the political compromises were made and the dust has now started to settle. This allows us to move from speculation to discussing the actual outcome. I do want to stress that there is still the possibility of curveballs, as a formal adoption of the agreement is only expected towards the end of Q1, and at the time of recording, both technical clarification meetings and legal linguistic validation of the compromise text is still ongoing. That being said, we are pretty certain that the main elements for shipping will stay as agreed. First and foremost, it is agreed that 2024 will be the first year of the ETS for shipping. This means that MRV reported emissions for 2024 will be the basis for the first surrendering of allowances, which will take place in 2025. And here there is a change, in that allowance surrender date that so far has been 30th of April has now changed to 30th September. In practical terms, this gives everyone a bit more time to crunch the numbers once the verified MRV report is in place. Initially, the ETS ship type scope remains as proposed, with the ETS covering the ships presently covered under the MRV regulation, essentially cargo and passenger vessels, from to 5,000 gross tons upwards. However, this soon gets expanded, with offshore ships 5,000 GT and above becoming part of the MRV in 2025, and part of the ETS from 2027 onwards. And somewhat similarly, offshore and general cargo ships from 400 GT upwards also become subject to the MRV from 2025 and may become subject to the ETS from 2027. This will be decided based on a review in 2026. Other ship types in the same size category will also be reviewed by end 2024 for potential conclusion. When it comes to the types of greenhouse gases covered by the ETS, there are additions that for some ship types will be significant. Emissions covered are no longer limited to CO2, Methane and nitrous oxides are both added to the MRV from 2024 and to the ETS from 2026. We also have clarity on the agreed phasing schedule. It will now run over three years, with a 40% factor for 2024 emissions, 70% for 2025, and 100% coverage for 2026 onwards. And finally, the difference in coverage between international voyages and EU voyages, the 50% versus 100% coverage, remains in place. However, there is a twist for container vessels in that to dissuade evasive behavior, container ships stopping in transshipment ports outside the EU, but less than 300 nautical miles from an EU port, need to include 50% of the emissions for the voyage to the transshipment port as well. As a final word, for now, on the EU developments, I want you all to be aware that the work on the ETS and the MRV is not done. In addition to the formal decision process on the ETS itself, there will be changes to the MRV system. 
These need to take into account the additional greenhouse gases, the new ship types and sizes, the new obligation on company reporting of total emissions that come in addition to ship reporting, and so on. And this is work that needs to be done in 2023 to be ready for the 2024 implementation of ETS requirements. Furthermore, Fuel EU Maritime is scheduled for 2025 and also introduces its own set of additional changes to the MRV. The complexity of the work is significant and the timeline is extremely tight for the Commission, but our understanding is that the intent is to try to conclude it all by the middle of this year. We shall see if that is manageable, but you should not be surprised if we revisit this and other EU-related issues in future episodes. So to the key takeaways. 2023 is going to be both a hectic and an important year as we inch closer to key decisions as well as implementation of new regulations. MEPC 80, the only MEPC meeting this year, is going to be dominated by decision-making on greenhouse gas strategy and new regulations, as well as concluding on the life cycle analysis guideline for fuels. There will also be at least an attempt to handle the issues that were punted for MEPC 79. In terms of the EU, we'll see that getting ready for the ETS implementation is going to require significant effort. In parallel, we will of course also expect to see conclusions on all other parts of the Fit for 55 agenda that I've talked about on previous episodes. And finally, as this has been quite a granular episode, we provide links to DNV's technical newsletters covering today's topics below this episode on dnv.com mi. So if you listen to this episode on Apple or Spotify, you can visit the Maritime Impact page directly and read these updates. Thank you for joining us for this final episode of the Maritime Impact Podcast's fourth series from DNV with me, Eric Nyhus. We'll be taking a break from recording for a little while, but we'll be returning with new episodes later this year, including after MEPC 80. If you enjoyed this episode, please don't forget to give us a rating or a review. Thank you for listening.